AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition, and I'm sitting on a Zoom screen across from Dan Taberski, uh, writer and filmmaker and podcaster, and I think maybe the best way to describe you is just storyteller. Is that fair? Sure. You like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> documentarian. How about documentarian? Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is storyteller, not to nitpick, but, you know. <laughs> Look. You're really hung up on the storytelling thing. <laughs> it's good to meet you. We just met like 30 seconds ago. So uh, yeah, right on. I learned you have small ears and that you hate storytellers. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. That's all you need to know, folks. Uh, where are you from, Dan? New York, originally born in Queens. Okay. Archie Bunker territory. Yeah. And now you're in Brooklyn. Is that right? Right now I'm in Brooklyn, but I live in Manhattan. I'm kind of curious about your... Uh, I like to talk to guests about the movies of their youth and sort of what that, what kind of impact that had on them as mm. as future entertainers or or even if it did. And was that something that were you sort of a movie obsessed kid or? I was not. Isn't that funny? I was. Uh, I it never occurred to me to do uh, to sort of make any sort of art um, until well into adulthood. Um, what was I your was, track? Uh, uh, I, I studied public policy in college. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I worked in politics for a while. I worked at the White House for two years right out of college um, and then uh, and then went into um, to journalism from there. So so I started I started in politics, which I quickly realized was not for me. Now, what which White House did you work in? Oh, it's a Clinton White House. I was oh. the assistant to the president's economic advisor. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah, it was really hard uh, and really intense. And I answered a lot of phones. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was like um, thrilling, but like incredibly difficult work. Now, uh, and I've spoken to another couple of people, including recently someone who worked in politics for a while, where you're how, – how, how did you go into that? Was it eyes wide open and were they quickly – were you – I don't mean to say naive, but mm. did you were you kind of smacked in the face with the reality of the situation? No, I you know I sort of I understood I think pretty well the politics of it and co- politics and compromise and all that stuff. What I didn't 
understand is that being political and working in politics required you to be political on a personal level too. So it required you to collect people, Mm -hmm. collect friends, uh, collect, uh, it required you to really be outgoing and, um, um, uh, always thinking about what relationships can do for you and help you to move things forward. And I don't even begrudge people who do that. I just, it's just not the way I think. And so I found that part to be a real slog. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I'm not that, I'm not social enough in the simplest terms. I'm just, I just don't want that many friends. (laughs) So, uh, so was it a pretty quickly uh, realized thing that like, I'm not going to go far in this world because I can't play that game? It was, I, I joined the Clinton administration in 95 and I stayed through the election in 96, okay. understanding that it was a super literal, like, you know, there aren't many things that one does that feels like an honor, uh-huh. but it, 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 it really does. It really does feel like that to walk in the White House every day, yeah, uh, yeah. or at least it did for me. And so I, you know, the experience of doing that was great, but I, but I sort of knew that I, I didn't have, I didn't have what, what it took. To, to, to sort of be successful. And that was right out of college, so early 20s? Uh, that was, yeah, I, it was my first job out of college besides Pizzeria Uno. I was a waiter at Pizzeria Uno. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where did you go from there career-wise? Uh, and then I, I went, uh, I moved to New York and I, I worked at NBC News um, for two and a half years mm-hmm. uh, or three years. Uh, and then from there, I went to The Daily Show. So I sort of had a, a brief uh dalliance with with actual news um and then uh my job quickly became making fun of the news of the daily show and and it sort of stayed in that sort of meta place now was that with john uh stewart was or was that still was that Mm -mm. okay Uh, it was yeah it was john it was right when john started it wasn't with craig kilborn he he had left uh and so I, i pretty much started when john started wow that's cool you're i've had a bunch of daily show people on the show Oh yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm oh, yeah. kind of, you had Elliot Kalen, right? I had Elliot on. I've had, yeah. um, well, John Hodgman's a, a pal of mine. So he's been on a few times. Yeah. He's great. Uh, and I'm trying to think, it seems like, uh, uh, Dan from the flop house has been on, uh, what's the flop house? Oh, uh, the flop house is Elliot's, uh, m- movie show. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. He has the movie podcast, a, a bad movie podcast. Where they, where he and his pals talk about a bad movie. It's pretty funny. Dan, oh, cool. Dan McCoy. I don't know why Dan's slipping because Dan's a friend of mine too. Oh, okay. Uh, and I don't know who that like is. One other, oh, I had Wyatt on. Uh, mm-hmm. Wyatt Sinek. He was after my time. Yeah. And I've been trying to get, uh, Chad Carter's an old friend that I've been trying to get on. And I think Chad probably came on after you too. If he's an old friend, why won't he come on your show? I've just, it's, been a minute and <laughs> I think the pandemic kind of screwed everything up for a while. I'm just wondering if you're sort of judging the friendship. The no, way. no, it's great. Chad's awesome. <laughs> uh, what was the daily show like? Was that, were you uh, producing segments? I was a producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would travel around with the correspondents and direct and write the the segments uh, with them. Oh, that's uh, cool. So yeah, super fun and thrilling and often scary uh, because you know, you're, you're, very often you're you're fooling people, right? Um, and and so that and that was it was that was early Daily Show days where people really didn't, for the most part, people didn't really know what it was, and they didn't sort of realize it until you're in the middle of it. So there's always like a light switch moment where they're like, "Oh, this is a joke," right? Um, and that could get end up yeah dicey. Yeah, every once in a while, yeah. That, but usually, I, I it actually really. Uh, it gave me faith in people. Like ninety five percent of the time, people think it's great. Mm-hmm. People think it's funny, and they and they totally and they totally. Um, people have good senses of humor, uh, and just as long as you're not taking them down for no reason, right? Um, but and you're sort of the, the the joke. The target of the joke is something else besides them personally. Yeah. Like I'm always surprised at how people sort of are are happy to be part of a larger joke. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so in 2014, you really kind of. Uh, I think turned the podcast world on its ear with missing Richard Simmons. 17. Oh, was it 17? Mm-hmm. What did I say? 14? Yeah. 2014 was serial. Yeah. 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 That, that turned the podcasting world on its ear too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2017, uh, which, you know, what were your expectations for that show? Uh, did you think it was going to blow up like it did? No, I thought it was, uh, no, my gosh, no. I mean, no. It just seemed like the small, it was, it was like a small thing Yeah. that like, you really don't have any sen- any reason why people would 
listen to it really if, if that makes any sense and it, it felt like a small it felt, it felt like a gesture that i was doing about this person that i thought was really important and special richard simmons but but it and it, it and then and then once it start once we started to put it out it, it, it sort of attracted people in a way that i we didn't expect and you then you realize you're sort of part of something that that isn't really yours anymore yeah <laughs> it was really something else i mean it was uh, it, it blew up in a really big way, and yeah. I imagine gave you sort of all the currency you needed in this new medium or newish medium for you, I guess, uh, to sort of do whatever you wanted as a documentarian from that point. I mean, short answer, yeah, kind of. Yeah. It really felt it did feel that way. Like it, it felt like it, it had touched something, and it, it either maybe, maybe people either loved it or hated it, which I think is sort of an interesting place to be. Right. Um, it means you're sort of you're you're tweaking something uh -huh. right like you're you're sort of flicking people's ears in a way that sort of makes people stand up a little bit yeah um and so yeah and so it it definitely gave me the opportunity to work with really good people after that and 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 continue to um people would take chances on sort of weird ideas and mm -hmm. it's a great place to be i love doing it. it's 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 amazing to have people take chances on weird ideas yeah and i think it was you know as someone who's been doing this for in my 13th year or so it's interesting to see ideas come around that really shift the landscape of the industry and i think mm -hmm. missing richard simmons is definitely one of those and you can always tell when you know podcasts are so quick to market and you can that's one of the cool things about this medium is you can get something out the door really fast you mm -hmm. know unless it's super sort of long game research heavy but then you can still sort of start telling that story if you want to and so that's a cool thing, but the weird part about that is that it, it lends itself to a lot of copycat material mm. and content. I think, and Richard and Missing Richard Simmons is one of those, which is a compliment. But like, it comes out, and then I feel like a lot of people are like, "Oh my god!" Like, what's our Missing Richard Simmons? Like, <laughs> and and maybe even sometimes as base of an idea is like, who can we go out and try and find who has seemingly disappeared? Yeah. Yeah. And that Which happened. is a scary impulse. Yeah. Like you don't want people doing that. Like that's not like, like we took a big, we were really deliberate in how we went into that project. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I had enough information and, a, and enough contact with the people who close to Richard and, and, and the people involved in his life that, that I, I had certain, I had certainty about things that I think, um, we were just very, we went into it very wide open and very considered. Right. And I think, I think it's a, it's a, it, and we, we walked a fine line for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I mean now, yeah, very often you hear like, what happened to this guy? I get, I get, I get missing Britney Spears, uh, tweets all the time. Oh yeah. Like people, people, people want to know like, Dan, go find Britney Spears. And I'm like, she's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to find like, she's, isn't she in Las Vegas or something? Like people have a real sense of like that, that this was that. It's not something, I don't think it's something I would ever do again. So it, it was just that that person in that situation. Um, it's definitely not a model uh, that I, I've been asked to sort of recreate that model. Uh, that was going to ask that. I'm sure it's, you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even something, I mean, if it comes up, I guess, but like it's not, it would never happen again because I was, I was, the only reason I did that is because I knew Richard Simmons and I was taking his class for a year and a half and, and it was, I was sort of involved mm -hmm. in that world. And so I wasn't, I was much, much, much less of an outsider than like a normal documentarian would be. I, I, I don't think I would ever have the courage or the balls to like, to do something like that if I didn't, if I, if I didn't know, if I, if I, if I was just coming in from the outside and parachuting in. Yeah. Uh, another show that you've done, which I have yet to listen to, which I'm, I'm putting at the top of my list is Running From Cops. Mm -hmm. Because Cops is a show that I... Um, and I, I never knew when it came on. It was cops was mm. one of those shows. It seems like it was always on, but if yeah. you were someone who flipped around a television dial, then you would run into it. And I yep. felt like I ran into it a lot enough to watch it sure a lot. Did. Yeah. Uh, without being someone who was like, Oh, it's whatever night at whatever time I got to check out cops. Yeah. And it's a show that, that I feel bad for watching so much yeah. now, uh, through today's lens when I was, you know, younger and in my twenties and, yeah. I was never like, rah, rah, this is awesome, man. Like, you know, what they're doing. It was just, there was something about it, the spectacle of it. I was 
definitely into, and I would love to know a little bit more about this project. Yeah, I mean, that was the point of the project is that I, you know, I estimate that I've seen maybe 500 episodes of Cops. And this is before mm -hmm. the show. I mean, I just watched it. I, I'm somebody who grew up watching television as background noise. And so yeah. I just, I, I'm used to having something on and, um, and Cops is like perfect. It's on... We it's on it was on it, at the time it was on fifteen sometimes twenty times a day. Okay, um, no wonder I ran into it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So you're not your senses yeah. do not lie. <laughs> uh, it literally is on all the time. Um, and there is something as far as reality shows go. There was the sense that you really you you really are watching something real. Mm -hmm. There like that had elements of reality elements of realness to it that other reality shows don't have and 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 they also they're training their cameras on a on a, on a world that you don't see that you don't really see in other reality shows like these are working class poor neighborhoods mm -hmm. and and people who aren't usually um sort of featured in, in a way that you could sort of hear or see about them but then of course you realize like it's it's and so the project was to explore that show. We watched, ultimately watched and analyzed and cataloged 847 episodes, I think it was. Wow. Um, and just sort of trying to figure out how real is cops? What is it we were actually seeing? Uh -huh. um, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredibly fucked up show um, that does incredibly fucked up things to the people yeah. who are on it. Um, I have a complicated relationship to that show, but um, but it was a, it was an analysis to exactly what you said. Like, why, why am I watching yeah. this? Um, and how are they doing it? Like, how are they allowed to? How how is it put together? And who's actually like sort of consenting to be a part of it? Right. Um, and the answers to that are are, are pretty intense. Oh man, I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> oh good, it's so good. Sorry, I'm not. Gonna, I mean, I shouldn't say that about my own work, but I'm I'm so proud of it. And and um. And for, if if you're interested in the show, it's just like about the history of yeah. of policing on television and, and reality shows and and just and how it intersects with actual criminal justice and your, what what you actually think is true versus not. Um, and it's been on for thirty years, and so so you, it has it, it, the influence it has not just on not just on reality shows, but on policing. Like literally, yeah. cops become cops because of what they see on cops, and so the behavior that they're mimicking is the things that reality shows are telling them to mimic. It, it, it's it's sort of an incredible long term experiment that has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be diving into that soon for sure. Um, I want to talk to you about the line too. Now, this is your this is is it currently still in production? Uh, it's, there was six episodes. Okay, it, uh, the last episode aired, uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, early May. Um, mm. where did this story come from and where do your stories come from generally? Is it just literally whatever piques your interest? Uh, running from cops was my idea. R Missing Richard Simmons was my idea. And then I sort of found partners and collaborators to sort of make it with, um, the line was actually the first one that wasn't my idea. Oh, okay. Uh, it was brought to me by Apple and Alex Gibney, oh, um, wow. the director. Mm -hmm. uh, and they asked me if I would be interested in sort of tackling this. Um, and I just kind of spent a month, uh, looking back at the Eddie Gallagher trial. It's about the Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher yeah. and the war crimes trial that he was involved in. And, and uh, but it also just becomes uh, much larger about forever wars and what it is that we're asking people to do when they go out and fight covertly, um, in, especially in the way that wars have been fought in, in the past 20 years since 9-11. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it just becomes a, a, a much larger look at, um, you know, what's what is the line between combat and war crimes? Right. And, and what is our complicity in that? Um, so fascinating. Um, intense um uh I, we talked to over 50 special operators navy seals yeah. um who are in a, just an incredible incredibly um incredibly unusual people mm -hmm. um and anybody who people who people who can do what they do and and people who have experienced the things they experience um regardless of any of the politics around it it is just fascinating it's a fascinating sort of dive into that world yeah it's interesting in that you like uh with stuff you should know i feel like we covered this these short broad overviews of topics and we've done a couple of thousand of them at this point so it's a lot of stuff but it's you know we're always treading in sort of the shallowest waters because of the nature of the the show you know it's we mm. got to spit something out in 45 minutes which is a good overview and you get to really yeah. dig in there and uh I, i'm jealous in a lot of ways that yeah. uh of that kind of deep dive journalism it's something that really has always interested me and I found myself, and I, I love what I do with stuff you should know, but 
mm. you know, I feel like, you know, the grass is always greener, I think. Yeah, in this totally, case. 100%. Uh, but I could also see, you know, when you're living and breathing this stuff, uh, it, that must get tough sometimes. Yeah, it was a dark. It was a dark year. Because uh, I, I, I had started doing this project, and then the pandemic came, and yeah. so then I ended up doing it all from my, you know, my attic, soundproofed room. Right. Uh, and and um, and it's it's pretty heavy. It's 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 very 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 heavy. And you're talking to people who you're not just hearing about intense things. You're talking to the um, to the people who experience them, and they're they're telling you where their heads are at yeah. now and and they're and they're allowing you in in that sense uh and and so yeah it was uh it's it's in, it's incredibly heavy but but also like then that's that then you're sort of then you just have you spend all this time talking to these people and then you you really do have tools to look at a story and a situation and the world in, in that 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 specific world in a really complete way and have confidence to sort of make assessments mm -hmm. and actually here, here's what I think is going on. And so it, it really is a process of like, just trying to understand. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's great. But I, I agree. The grass is always greener. I would love every once in a while. I was just thinking, boy, I would love to, I would love to just talk about something different every week right. <laughs> and just, you know, uh, uh, but that's, that's, that is not that is not where I ended up. <laughs> when do you know? I, I feel like we have some listeners who probably um, either have interest in making documentaries or have done so themselves, and it's something that might interest me, you know, on down the line in the future. And I think mm. you tell stories so well. And I've always wondered when you know that you're done. Does that make sense? Like, when do you know yeah. that you have told the story in as complete a way as you desire? Well, there's all. I mean, in no small part, it is because of the deadlines that are that you set and that other people set for you, and and that that is important mm -hmm. um, uh, to sort of put a put a cap on it. Right. I think because uh, you could really spend forever. Um, for me, it's it's this is going to sound really dippy, and I I don't <laughs> usually sort of uh, like uh, express this verbally, but well, who cares? Uh, it's sort of like. Um, Instead of it's, you think about it like you're investigating a feeling, like the Eddie Gallagher story mm -hmm. and the story of Eddie Gallagher and, and the story of the seals and the story of war. It, it gave me, it made me feel a certain way. I, I really couldn't decide how I felt about it. And there, I, I, I thought I felt like I was seeing something that other people weren't expressing, and that and that and that once you can get that feeling out of your head and into sort of yeah. uh, like five hours of audio. Um, and, and that it sort of reflects what was in your head, then that to me is done. I'm not even really thinking about the listener, mm -hmm. uh, as I'm making it, I'm more thinking like, is this what I'm thinking? Right. And, and, and if there's something, there's something that feels complete about just like, okay, I can put it away now. Cause here's how I feel about mm -hmm. it. Even if you don't come up with answers and I rarely do, there are rarely answers. Um, but just the exploration of it to, to have that feeling to, to, with the music and the people you talk to mm -hmm. and, the, and the writing you do around it and all that stuff, if it feels all together in a composite like that feeling that's in your head, then you're done. That's not dippy. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. <laughs> all right, good. Thanks. <laughs> what's uh, what's next? Can you talk about it, or do you got some ideas that you have tucked away? I, I am working on uh, I'm working on something right now that will come out in a couple months. Uh, that I can't. I guess I can't really talk about okay. it now. Um, but. Uh, but I think it's going to be good. Great. Okay, I'm knocking on wood if you can hear that. Yeah, <clears throat> I hope. Fantastic. I have, well, I have uh, great partners. Yeah, so it's 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 going good. That's awesome. I bet that's fun too to um to work with different people on different projects. And you know, I, I used to work in the film industry, so I I I sort of miss the days of putting together a, a crew of people and doing a mm. thing that lasts a certain amount of time, and yeah. then graduating from that and moving on and uh, working with new great people. Yeah, and then having them like the whole. I mean, it's so interesting to talk about my work in, in these situations, but then to be working with people who are who are just, it, it really is a, a collaborative process yeah. in, in a really great way. Like that, you can just let go of parts of it and let other people let let their opinions and sort of inform the project. And I, I really like that part. Um, if if you have the right partners, it's it's really satisfying. Amazing. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. All right, so when I sent you mm-hmm. uh, the email, our our buddy Mangesh uh, got us together, which is very great. Mm-hmm. Mangesh is such a good person and good connector of, of people. Yeah. Uh, you sent me a few movies, including one uh, that I did not get to watch that I can't wait to see, though, the documentary about the unearthed film. Oh, uh, Dawson City Frozen in Time. Yeah, I can't wait to see this. Oh, it's so incredible. It's basically a documentary about about uh, a town in the Yukon uh, and, 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 and the sort of, they found a trove of old movies that almost all of them are, are gone except for those prints uh, that they had buried uh, in the ground and that had preserved because it was so cold up there. Uh, and it's just, um, it's, it's a look at, uh, at the growth of this town, um, Dawson City, and, and at the same time using those old film clips to sort of illustrate that history there's no words it's only text on screen but it's just one of those films that gets it feels like it can see the whole world like you just you just you feel like you can see everything for a second in in in, and it's just uh i love it i love it i like practically stalk that guy like i i talk about that movie (laughs) way more than is uh, appropriate (laughs) well i can't wait to see it i think i i feel bad that i chickened out a little bit because it was a movie without dialogue and i I have a feeling once I'll see it, I'll I'll probably email you again and say, so. "Hey, it's you want to really come moving. back on and we'll talk about it?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really it's a, it's a it's really moving and and stuck with me still to this day. Uh, but what I did jump on was uh, the 1988 Mike Nichols film Working Girl because mm-hmm. it's a movie that I, I somehow never saw. It's it's one of those movies that I felt like I saw because it's. I knew the plot and it was such a big hit. Um, mm. And the only thing I can figure out is that I was 17. And it it's not a real seventeen year old kind of movie. No, it's a movie for adults, and they used to make those <laughs> at one point. Yeah, isn't that funny? You can't. It, it doesn't fit anywhere right now. I know. I talk about yeah. that a lot, like adult films and how they just used to make more mature content. Uh, yeah, and movies for like you know people that are thirty and up. But um, yeah, I watched it today uh, for the first time, and I loved it. It was so great. Isn't it great? It really is. I. I just, I just couldn't love it more. What's, what's your experience? <laughs> when did you see it first? Just what's your background? You know, I actually saw. I was thinking about that today. I actually saw it in the theater, which is strange because I, I think I was like sixteen. Uh, if it was eighty-eight, I was fifteen. Okay. Which is why is a fifteen-year-old seeing this movie? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but I remember the I thought I saw it in the quad uh, on Northern Boulevard in Queens. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember I remember seeing it. Um, I remember, and, and the reason I remember is because we were such little shits. I remember back then we would we would like sit in the back of the theater and like try to smoke cigarettes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like as if as if nobody's gonna know right. or like. Yeah. So stupid. You can smell um, someone smoking a cigarette from yeah, 50 like feet away. Yeah, like it's not going to fucking bother everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that you wouldn't care. Uh-huh. Um, and so I do remember watching it then, uh, but that wasn't where my love for it. My love for it sort of came later uh, as one of those films that just appeared on television a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, again, like as somebody who likes television, I like to, I, 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 this has changed, but I used to be, I'm not a big Netflix person. I'm not a big iTunes person. I, I like television. And, I, and when it's on, t- I want to catch it. Yep. And I, I want, I'll, I'll watch it from the middle. I just I want to I want to watch something that I feel like other people are watching. There's something about that. Oh, interesting. That I like. Yeah, isn't that weird? I like the commercials. Uh-huh. Not I I just like the I like that. Um, and Working Girl is sort of a usual suspect for that. And it's just such a great movie. It's just it's so well done. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I almost had to avoid seeing this movie because it is one of those sort of HBO specials that ran forever uh, yeah. on HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was fun today to see a little bit of a, a blast from the past, just as far as the you know, the styles and the hair. And it was, I mean, that was my high school that I was looking at, you know, it was every girl I know their senior picture was, was Joan Cusack's hair. With the big hair. Oh yeah. Isn't that incredible? It was amazing. And it's so funny. If you look back at that movie now, it reads like a parody, like, because it's all the secretaries. It reads like (laughs) that they're doing their hair super big because they're trying to be funny. Right. And like, as if they were doing like a a movie making fun of 20 years before. And it's not, they're making fun of that time. Yeah. That is what people looked like. Yeah. Um, That's exactly that was the style. Yeah, it It was fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, I had friends like that too. Oh, the hair. Yeah, Barbara. It's pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Mike Nichols to me is uh, I hesitate to call him underrated because he's gotten like lifetime achievement awards. He's certainly not undervalued or underrated, but I do feel like his name should come up more Mm. when you're talking about best directors of all time. When you look through Mm. his filmography, and I think one reason is because he sort of disappears into his work in the best way yeah. uh, that a uh, not a director should, because I also love auteurs who are like, Hey, this is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and you know it from the second you sit down. Mm. But I do love that Mike Nichols is not showy and that he's not interested in making it about himself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel, yeah, you can't see him at all, especially in this movie because the characters are, um, like Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith, and Harrison Ford, like just all three of them are just like, they're almost like cotton candy. Like they're just like, yeah. they're just, they just look, they just like, it is, it is just so about them. Yeah. Uh, in, in a great, in a great way. Uh, and so, yeah, he seems like he fo- puts all of his focus on highlighting them. He does. And I think his stories that he tells are so human. Like that always seems to be the common, ele- common element to me for a Mike Nichols film is there about people and what other films are you thinking of well i mean certainly the graduate um yeah i think uh i love biloxi blues of course that's a neil simon jam so that's got its Mm -hmm. own sort of specific tone to it Mm -hmm. um what other movie i was looking through this there here i'm typing real quick i don't usually do this who did ishtar it was not Mike Nichols. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to fucking talk to that guy. I've never actually seen his chart. Uh, I think I haven't either. And I, have, I do have a, a friend and uh, kind of repeat guest who wants to talk about Ishtar. So I'm going to take him up on that at some point. Apparently, see, apparently it's not as bad as everybody says. That's what I've heard. Uh, he no. did Silkwood. Oh, uh, Silkwood is so good. Great movie. You, can't, you know, you can't see that movie now. Oh, is it not uh, available? You can't see it on Amazon. You can't. I've tried many times. You got to go to the video because I always want to see Cher playing a lesbian. Right. Like, I love that whole thing <laughs> and the scrubbing scene. And like I, again, I like to just watch movies that I've seen before, and they just and and you can't get it anywhere. It's really frustrating for me. I, you know, <laughs> I, I think uh, I got upset. You, no, you, I mean you've bound to be able to rent it, right? If you find your no, the, you cannot. Oh, it's not I even defy on. Defy you to find Silkwood. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can't rent it. You can't rent it on Amazon, iTunes. It's not on Netflix. I you can't get it. No, but physically, no. Can oh. can you go to a video store? Like, there's still video stores. We got a great one in Atlanta. Well, dude, if that's <laughs> if that counts. <laughs> Is like, yeah, like I can take out my projector. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm talking about reasonable, reasonable ability. <laughs> yeah, all right, good point. Um, he did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, and 
he doesn't have a, a feeling as a director though i think he's not one of those people that no that has like a a genre that he sticks to he's done kind of some crazy things yeah over the years that that uh he just sort of disappears into yeah uh and i think he's an egot winner what did he win was it for the graduate did he win his his o i think he won the o uh and i'm not sure about the eg and the t either but uh he is in but he is in i EGOT. believe it yeah yeah great mike nichols um great cast in this movie it's mm. it's just sort of stacked and it was it's kind of fun to go back and see young oliver platt and mm-hmm. uh and and kevin spacey just way overacting in his one scene sort of yeah. up to an obnoxious point well he's playing an obnoxious person he did it well <laughs> yeah <laughs> kudos to you kevin spacey yeah like yeah snorting cocaine and drinking champagne it was it was it was pretty bad totally Apparently, Melanie Griffith was doing cocaine all through that movie. Did you read about that? No, I just I I, I was I just did a quick uh, little little wiki. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, apparently, like there was a there was a whole thing. Like she was she's talked about it that like she she had basically had a cocaine problem at the time, and and there was a point where she came in. This is a story that 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 I. I'm, I'm assuming that this is a quote from her, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's true. Um, that she came in high uh, on coke, and they shut down the set. Oh wow! For they said, and, and this was like she was a young actress. Like this is not they shut it down because of her. And Mike Nichols took her to breakfast the next morning and said, "Here's the deal: we're not going to tell anybody about this. You're paying for the cost of the, what we had to shut down." Wow! And she, and she did it. Holy and cow! Apparently, yeah, and she said it was a real lesson for her. Um, and uh, apparently, but apparently after that, Mike Nichols was on Coke the whole time too. <laughs> no, no, not Uncle yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I think that was in his new book, in the new book uh, that uh, that Mark Harris just wrote. Um, oh boy, so, he just uh, does not seem like the type. Well, it was 88. Man. Well, that's Nobody true. seems like the type. <laughs> Everybody was the type. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, it's a movie that sort of mirrored Melanie Griffith in some ways, like, I don't think she was taken very seriously as an actor at the time. Mm, mm. She was overly sexualized. She really needed this job. And so mm-hmm. many of those things sort of align with the character of Tess mm. uh, that it sort of makes sense uh, and was perfectly cast. And I don't think I don't think she's known as like one of our great actors, but she was really great in this movie. Lovely. Um, and a sort of guileless. Is that what that word means? I think so. <laughs> so yes, she she's wonderful, and it's interesting about. I was thinking about the se- the sex in the movie. That like how sexualized she was, and another thing that makes this movie unusual is, is that it's not clear who the audience is. If the audience is supposed to be men or women, like right. there there are scenes where she's sexualized, but it's always sort of jokey. Like he buys her like the silly underwear to put on, and she puts it on, and so it's yeah. not like a bombshell. It's sort of like she looks like a dipshit a little bit, right? And like and then there are scenes where Harrison Ford he's taking off a shirt, and you can tell that they just want that 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 they want the audience to eat it up. So it's like they. There is a sort of parody to the um, to the, the to the way they sexualize yeah. people in this movie, which I which I really admire, and especially considering this is eighty eight when women were. I mean, you really had to put yourself out there as just a sex a piece of sexual meat to be looked at as an actress in in a lot of these movies. Um, and and the fact that it that didn't quite happen for her is I, I think is says good things about Mike Nichols. Yeah, it is an interesting movie in that way because it's sort of it's making a statement about that sexualization. Mm. But like you said, I mean, there I can't think of many movies that have more lingerie yeah. in in them than this. It's she's got it in a couple of scenes. Gorney Weaver's wearing lingerie in a couple of scenes. And Melanie Griffith is vacuuming in her underwear and no shirt yeah. in one scene. She says yeah. that was her idea. Uh I, I think I read that she said that was her oh, idea. Really? Yeah, and she said, you know, this is she said it was because it was real because like I wouldn't be doing that in my office suit. Like if no one's around, I would just take my clothes off and do it because that would make more sense. Cause yeah. Cause she wouldn't get dirty. I, I, I just don't so. understand how you wear that sort of underwear. Cause right. it was sort of like the thing with the clips and stuff. <laughs> I don't even know. Like that just, Oh really? It was, I don't even know what they call it. Like, I don't know. Lingerie is weird. <laughs> it is. Chicks. Weird. Oh no, no, no. What you mean? Like uh, garter belts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's garter belts. Right. It's like clips. Like with the clips. Where the clips doesn't make sense. Uh, but this sort of is evidence in this uh, one critic at the time. Uh, I, I read this article from, uh, I think it was the guardian at uh, working girl at 30 from mm. a few years ago. And, it talks a, a bit about this sexualization and sort of the time. And in 1988, a male movie critic wrote, uh, with her floozy face, 
her Cupid doll voice, her made-for-bed bod, and a general demeanor suggesting Jesus. she was born already knowing the Kama Sutra by heart. Wow. It always comes as a surprise to audiences to find Melanie Griffith can actually act, too. Jesus. Like, that's a mainstream movie critic. <laughs> that's so gross. And, it is so gross. It is so gross, but it also disappoints me because I, I felt to me it feels like the movie gets past that. I feel um, like it does too, and that's sort of. And the I, point. I felt like that's like like you gotta, you gotta be looking at things at a pretty flat way to to, to have that be your takeaway about Melanie yeah. Griffith in that movie. Um, I think. I think. No, I totally agree. Uh, <laughs> it also kind of flips the script a little bit in that Harrison Ford's role is typically you would think of as like the woman's part in 1988. Yeah. He's sort of the cheerleader to her yeah. and he's the one that's sexualized throughout the movie and every scene, yeah. it, it yeah. feels like every woman in that movie has never seen a man before Harrison Ford walks into the room Yeah, uh, to the point where, you know, it's, it's clearly the point yeah. because it's so overblown. Yeah. Uh, and there's that one funny scene where he's changing his shirt in the office and all the women are watching through the blinds in the office and yeah. he turns around and sort of acknowledges them. Yeah. With that little sort of rhyme, almost bow, which was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, incredible, incredible. Uh, such good, good done, done with such good humor. Uh, there, there's something about sexuality when it when when sexuality is presented in a way that's not just trying to give you a boner. I'm sorry if this is like, am I not supposed to curse? No, you you can say fucking boner and whatever you. Oh, okay. And garter belt. Like I very often you feel like you're watching a movie and they're trying to make you. They're trying to get you to, like to feel sexed up. They're trying yeah. to, and like that's not the way that sexuality was sort of presented in this movie. It's sort of presented in the different forms and how people are reacting to it and mm -hmm. that's what it feels like to me it feels more um considered yeah i think so and it was at a time um sort of in that 80s turning point where and the guardian article kind of talked about this when i think from the time melanie griffith was born it was like eight percent of mothers worked and by the time she made this movie it was like 50 something percent wow and so it was a time when you know women were we're in the workforce more than ever before and, and, you know, trying to get these jobs and like that Sigourney Weaver had, but she's also like, and I think they, they were right in doing this played as having to sort of play the game as well, even in her position. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was also sort of like, and yes, I mean, Sigourney Weaver is a successful businesswoman, but she's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and she, she speaks right. Yeah. And she uses her, you could tell, there's even a couple of scenes where she sort of intimates that like, she definitely flirts with the other male executive, but then they walk away and she says, what an asshole like, type stuff. Right. Like, um, but it is, um, it presents it all as a, it presents it all as a, as a, as a system that women now have to figure out how to navigate uh -huh. as opposed to like maybe presented as a system that is not the way it should be. Right. So it presents it as like, well, women are trying to do this. So how are they gonna? Yeah. How are they gonna figure this one out? And and they do, and it in in a sort of, in a way that's true to the time. Um, but it doesn't. It's not really sort of questioning the system on a larger level, uh, as sort of archly as we might do it now. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Does that sound right? Yeah, it sounds totally right. And I think it like, it's shocking to see how how little progress was made until 1988 and then how much has been made since then yeah because it seems i mean it's like stuff straight out of the like 1950s almost with yeah. the alec baldwin uh character who this is i, I love this era of alec baldwin like young alec mm -hmm. baldwin is so great mm -hmm. but when he basically says at the end straight up like you know why is it always about what you want he's like who 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 died and made you princess grace or whatever yeah. or grace kelly yeah. And it's yeah. like, dude, are you kidding me? It's like she yeah. walked in on you like banging her friend. Yeah. And he's like, why is it always about what you want? And yeah, it's like, is this nineteen eighty eight? Really? But that's what she was. But it's also truthful. Like we don't, we don't, we don't hear that as he's right. We hear that as like this is what she's. This is what she's dealing with. And he's yeah. not wrong, but she's more right. Right. Like it, he's not wrong for the time. He's a broken man in many ways. Sure. It's like, but. But, but the the fact that that's that's what somebody like her would have to be dealing with um, is uh, the the hoops that she has to jump through is is incredible. Yeah, and also just 
you know, it wasn't like this was everybody. I mean, this was a, a working class guy from Staten Island yeah. where that sort of attitude was probably way more prevalent than the Manhattanites. Um, or maybe it was just disguised more as casual sexism. But like Harrison Ford is a pretty good guy. He doesn't take advantage of her. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that role needed to be like it was crucial for this movie to have one one good dude in it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. I'm a big fan of movies where characters where there are characters who are not to be underestimated. Um, it's kind of a tropey character, but I always fall for it. Uh, it's just, they're, they're stories I love. And this is definitely one of them. And I think this movie, if it were made today, it would be so much sillier than it is Yeah, because it is sort of one of those, you know, uh, sort of threes company esque things with mistaken mm -hmm. identities and, especially at the end when Harrison Ford comes in the apartment, she's hiding in the other room and people yeah. are overhearing the wrong conversations. And, but it, it never, it always rises above that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I actually put a lot of that on Melanie Griffith. Uh, yeah. I, in a, I, 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 there's something about her. There's something about, um, she, then they're right about her voice. Like she sort of puts on the silly, it's, I don't even know what to put on. Like her voice is is a voice that one might not take seriously. Yeah. But there's something about there is something uh there's a non-seriousness to her voice, but there's not a silliness to her voice. Right. Like she's not her she's not wacky. Right. Like she's her voice she she sort of owns the space that 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 she occupies in a in a way that you do take her seriously. Yeah, this the this movie would be way over the top with silliness and wackiness, I think, if it were made today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, just, yeah, Sigourney Weaver, my God, just all those people. Yeah, she, that character, I think they, um, they played it perfect because she was so hard to sort of read. Like, she was being her mentor, but you don't know for a little while if she's an ally or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> she's not a, played as a straight-up villain. That kind of comes later. So she's sort of the mentor, but a little bit condescending. Uh, and then, of course, you learn throughout the movie that she has taken her idea Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's still not in a Disney villain way. It, it all feels very real still, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. It's as far as storytelling goes, if you're 
if you're someone who has ever written uh, screenplays or tried to, th this is a movie that I think could very easily be taught in classes as far as just kind of perfect structure. Perfect. Uh, it runs like a Swiss watch, uh, and but just very subtly um, hitting those plot points like exactly where they should be. And I know Nichols didn't write the script. I, was, uh, I looked up who it was. I can't find his name now, but um, just a really great lesson in structure, I think, for storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, it it moves, and it also just like the it, it feels like um, it feels complete, even in the way. And I'm sure this is. I don't know. If this was in the writing. Maybe I'm sure this was in the directing. Actually, like it starts the way it ends. Like right. It starts. It starts with that helicopter shot going across the the New York Harbor and into the you know into the streets into the wait. Does it go? Oh no, it goes onto the Staten Island Ferry yeah. right as they're going into as they're going into the city to sort of pursue capitalism and it ends, uh, you know, as they're pursuing capitalism in a building, you know, in this helicopter shot that's pulling out yeah. and you just see how many people are doing what Melanie Griffiths is trying to do and yeah. how sort of futile it is. And that you are just like a cog in a machine ultimately. Like, so it does have that, like it, it is complete. Um, yeah, it is complete. Yeah, it is complete. Um, Harrison Ford should have done more comedies. I realized that when I was watching this today, uh, he's very funny when he wants to be. Sure is. And this isn't a comedy. That, I mean, this is sort of a dramedy in some ways. It's not It's not one that plays for gags or for sort of easy jokes, but there's a lot of humor in it, and, yeah. and a lot of it comes from him and just yeah. how subtle he is in this movie. And his, his face yeah. acting is just so – I just love that guy so much. He's so lovable in yeah, this movie. Yeah, well, there's – there's also something about, um, and I don't know how fair this is, but but I do think it's true. There's something about um, beautiful people being funny. Mm -hmm. It's almost like fine. It's almost like when 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 you see somebody really beautiful and then they start talking, you're like, oh, you're a genius as well. Right. It's almost <laughs> like it's almost like it's fun to watch these three characters because they're all so beautiful um, and they don't. And all the characters sort of have a certain nobody's sort of the necessarily the, the huge star, and so they're they're also beautiful. They're all good actors, but then you realize that they're all funny in their own way. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like it, it, I don't know that kind of thing makes me happy for the people in it. Like you, you like the people, you like the bad guys, you like the good guys. Like you just like that everybody is is given enough to play with, as opposed to like a lot of movies where it's like you hire one star, you give them all the good lines, and everybody else right. is just bouncing off them. This just feels like look at look at all these these guys. Everybody's ha having such fun playing with these characters. Um, that that's how it feels to me. Yeah, I agree. And there's just so much subtlety. Um, again, it would just be so different if this film were made today, or maybe even back then in a different director's hands. Um, yeah. One of the moments, one of the great little small moments is when he's in the bar with her when he first meets her and she doesn't know who he is. He mm -hmm. orders the tequila mm -hmm. and uh, he goes, uh, power, power to the people. And she almost under her breath says, the little people. Yeah. And he doesn't even notice she said it. It's like, it's a line for the audience. Yeah. And uh, it, just little things like that, I think, separate this movie from sort of what was going on at the time. Yeah. Do you feel like it's a capitalist movie or an anti-capitalist movie? I was, I, I actually feel like, well, sorry, what do you think? Well, I don't know because it's, uh, I mean, in the end, she got that job in mergers and acquisitions. And yeah. like, that's the happy, her, that's her Cinderella ending is she got that job. Not that she realized that that life wasn't for her. I think that would have been anti-capitalism. <laughs> But then it's the pull. But then that to me, the pullout shot at the end is what makes it all. Is, well, is what makes it. Is what turns it for me. That it's she's like the you realize, oh, she got her office, <laughs> but you just realize she's one of a million. Yeah, and it just that's true. doesn't fucking matter. Um, that's what I. That's what I get from that. Yeah. Yeah, I never really thought about that. It's. Um, I also think it, 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 in a way, gives. Um, what What I do like about it is that it 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 very much could have made. A, a lot of it's like Staten Island's poor, Manhattan's rich. Uh -huh. Like the like it, it's sort of two worlds, and you don't finish the movie thinking I want to be one part of one, and not the other. Um, they both seem attractive to me at the end. Um, the Staten Island life seems attractive. The wedding where they're all having fun yeah. or like the, the engagement party, they're at the bar. <laughs> Mick stowed this behind the bar. She gives him her briefcase and everybody's just having fun, sort of drunk. And and you don't get the sense that they're the ones who got it wrong and no. that the people in Manhattan got it right. It, no, I agree. And, and then it, 
Yeah. And so and then the flip side, like you you see the scenes in the in, in Manhattan, like the big fancy wedding and like that all just seems kind of stupid. But yeah. you don't and, and it seems critical of it, but not in a way they're just people in a big system, too. So I, I like movies like that, that like it 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 really sort of it, it doesn't decide for you. Mm-hmm. It, um, it, it kind of makes both seem uh, attractive and unattractive at the same time. I, I, I think that's a neat trick. It is a neat trick, and there is some ambiguity there. And, and aside from the the main characters, I think the more likable group is Joan Cusack and Alec, Alec Baldwin, yeah. and then the Staten Islanders. Yeah, and the second, yeah, and they they're they're you know they're about friendship, and they like when Chess gets fired, like they did a little collection, and they hand her an envelope full of money so she can get drunk one right. day, and like they've got their <laughs> eye, they've got their eye on what on what is important. Um, but I, and then I will say even the, and I'm not sure how, how this serves my argument or or sort of uh, interrupts it. But like even like the the big CEO type people like Mr. Trask that everybody's trying to, they don't make them seem evil either. They make them seem right. it's almost like it's almost like um, paternal, I guess in a in a yeah. way. But it's it's not. I guess it's. I guess maybe that that means. It's not really going after any of them. It's about people navigating themselves in that system. It's it's less about a critique of the system itself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it does subvert a lot of cliches. Uh, and for 1988, I don't feel like I feel like I mean, their movies are all about tropes and cliches still. But yeah, yeah, I feel like back then this was a much smarter, more considered take on this stuff than what was normally going on, which is probably why it stood out. And was such a, you know, I mean, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscar awards and yeah. it wasn't, you know, it could have very easily been sort of a schmaltzy little, you know, rom-com. Yeah. Uh, and he subverts that so many times, like their their first kiss, you know, there's no music swelling. It's not, it yeah. was some great background. It's just after that meeting, he just, yeah. he's going down the stairs and he has the urge to kiss her. Yeah. And it just felt so real. And the same goes for when he tells her he loves her. It's not some big Hollywood moment with this backdrop of the Manhattan skyline, it's just sort of there. And it's, I feel like it's just much more real. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and also just like pairing those up, pairing all those moments up with these big sort of corporate moments. Right. Like of, of tension. Like he says, I love you. Like right before the big meeting. Right. Man. <laughs> and like, it's, it's, it, it is an interesting pairing. Yeah. Um, I did not see the twist coming, believe it or not. It's it's pretty telegraphed, but I did not realize, seeing it for the first time today at 50 years old, I did not see that Harrison Ford would have been dating Catherine this whole time. I, you know, maybe I'm a dummy. I didn't. It's so it's it's I've seen it so many times that I don't know that I remember what my initial reactions were. But you actually didn't see it coming. So I, you were shocked. I was I saw the uh, the fact that he had someone else in his life coming. But I was I was definitely surprised that it was Sigourney Weaver because I guess I thought he had been in her office, so he would have known. But you know, maybe it was a different office or something. They never really explained that. Well, she had just started a Penny Marsh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Well, there you have. I just it. want to make sure that you don't make people think that there's holes in this plot because there's All not. Right. It's, it's airtight. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't see it coming, and I thought it was a, a good twist. And yeah, that little a great twist. That little threes company scene in there where they're in different rooms. You know. Yeah. I like that scene because it's um, she gets that little bit of validation she needs when she overhears him clearly not really into her, yeah. and I think a lot of movies would have kept her in that uh, feeling of being unsure about herself. Yeah. And I like that she yeah. had that little moment. Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. I love the stuff, Gorilla. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Because that wasn't played up. It was just a funny little weird choice. Yeah. Again, if that were made today, that would have been so slapstick and weird. Totally. All these weird choices, like in the cocktail party where she's serving uh, Chinese dumplings right. in, a, in a steam <laughs> car and the steam's like blowing in her face. It's just like there's no reason for it, but it's just a great like indignity. Yeah. Um, that, and that was her idea, the Chinese dumplings. Like, right. And, 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 and her idea, like she didn't really think it through, but... Uh, yeah, and so they're they're great sort of physical bits, or like the cast is an amazing. There's no reason for her to have it like that big old cast right. on Sigourney Weaver, and he comes in and he knocks on it like right. he's a twelve year old. Like look at this, uh, and then it makes her so hilarious that she's trying to walk with dignity yeah. with this cast. Like, 
man, it's just like it's one of those things you 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 feel. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can watch it and just and just be excited for the screenwriter that they have, that they like figured out this plot device, right? And that you could see how it played. Like maybe she gets into a skiing accident. No, but then she's got the cast on. No, that'll be really funny in this scene. Right. And it's just like <laughs> it's just one of those things that 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 keeps that keeps on giving. It's not it's not just like a one time bit. Yeah, the 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 giant uh, tiki drinks at the wedding. Yeah, that Harrison Ford sucks down. It's like there, yeah. there's just enough of those sort of standard comedy moments without yeah. without it veering too much into that territory. I think. Yeah. Uh, and again, he plays it so funny uh, yeah. in that bathroom scene when the bride walks in and he comes out. It's just you know that sort of classic <laughs> Hollywood comedy stuff. You know, yeah. like there's a yeah. there's a guy in the lady's bathroom, but uh, it doesn't ever feel silly to me. Yeah. What is that? I think it's probably Mike Nichols. Yeah. And you know the acting; everyone pulled it together, but I, I don't think he would. He allowed it to to veer into that territory, right? Such a deft hand. Uh, yeah. And then you know, then that ending with them in the apartment, and he's bought her this mm. lunchbox, and it's like you're dead inside if you're not just like dying at that moment when mm-hmm. he packs her little lunch. It's just, it's so perfect, and he's such a good dude, and uh, like you don't have a heart if that doesn't, you know, at least make you like well up a little bit. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Packs her little. And it's a combination of the two worlds. It's like it's like the the sort of Manhattan world combined with the sort of like human connection of the Staten Island world. Like that, the, I think that's like that's what it's presenting as the. Yeah, this is what matters because she would be certainly packing Alec Baldwin's lunch. Yeah, if, totally. If her life had gone that way, and he's rooting. Yeah, he that he's he's rooting for her. Yeah, um, that which is which is uh, he's he's supporting her in this incredible, which now all you want to do is say in this incredibly fucked up system where she's got to right. like go be an ass like it, like. But but if somehow I I don't get hung up on that still I don't get hung up on that sometimes when you see movies thirty years later you're like oh that was a blind spot uh, and for there's something about it that seems good good natured enough that you don't you don't sort of judge it for the things it misses uh because yeah. times have changed if that makes any sense like zero black people in the movie right like it's just not for sure like it doesn't it doesn't address any of those any of those sorts of issues um but and and per- perhaps a person of color is watching this movie might might say it differently but i don't know i th- i think it it deals enough with class that that it and that it makes you root for for people of different classes enough that I don't know, there's something about it that still, that holds up even despite it's, it's sort of it's blind spots. Yeah. I guess if, you know, the true like anti-capitalist message would be if she realized that world wasn't for her and she started up her own small boutique firm that did things differently and uh, she wasn't part of the machine or something like that. But you know, this felt true to 1988 to be sure. Um, but also just like incredibly like when she realizes at the end that she's got her own office and yeah. like this is her secretary. And then she says, here's what uh, maybe maybe now is a good time to talk about what you expect. Yeah, me. that was a nice and moment. She's like, yeah. And she just says, like, well, first of all, don't you call me Tess. Uh-huh. You don't have to get me coffee unless you're getting some for yourself. Yeah. And the rest will just figure out as we go along. Yeah. Like it, it shows like this is how this is how gender, which is a very actually modern message right yeah like, this is how this is how women in the workplace or women in, in 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 the upper positions would actually change how it is for everybody it's not just sort of like a filling up filling a slot with a woman it's like it will change the way that we work yeah and i think it was a message of hope for 1988 for women yeah uh, i think this is a movie that in 1988 women probably really really loved um yeah. like you were talking about who's who is the audience i don't necessarily think it was just for women but I think it is a is a movie that women probably could rally around a little bit, yeah. Um, like they could rally around a Thelma and Louise or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you've mm-hmm. got the Carly Simon song, yeah. You know, which is it's such a great song. It was such a big hit. Uh, big drums, yeah. Yeah, those big okay. drums, that big '80s production, <laughs> and it also did this thing that I feel like movies really used to do a lot, which I love, which is you have a a theme song that is also sort of the score of the entire movie too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it when movies did that, and they just don't. I don't feel like they do that anymore. Like the Die Hard thing, isn't that Die? Didn't Die Hard do that? No, I don't think Die Hard was all Beethoven's ninth, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like a a, a theme song that a pop star sings, and the, then it's rearranged as the oh. score throughout the movie oh, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, Let the yeah, River yeah. Run is in this entire movie, kind of from front to back. Yeah. 
yeah. and then she oh you know it opens the movie it closes the movie and then it's the score you're right. in between. it's like the underscore <laughs> right, right, right you're absolutely right it's great though and she's like right sometimes Carly Simon is just sort of humming in the background right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're right you're right you're right uh, I really loved it though I appreciate um, sometimes like I, I appreciate a pick from a guest for some weird reason if that makes sense like I love that this is your movie pick Working Girl from 1988. It was a big movie that people love, but I don't know. It just it, it seemed like an unlikely choice, and I'm I'm. But what is that? What else is there? What's everybody else picking? Oh, uh, I mean, it kind of <laughs> it kind of varies from like stuff that people like their favorite movies when they were kids, the first big uh, movies, to stuff that's a little more heady that they you know as adults I think really got into. But uh, I don't know. I feel like this is a pick from the heart, and I appreciate that. Oh, it really is. I really love it, and I love talking about it, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, thanks for being here. Where can people find you uh you're on twitter and stuff or you... yeah d Taberski on twitter okay. and uh you know itunes uh podcasts apple podcasts all those places spotify just search my name yeah my stuff go go on. listen to all the shows i'm gonna check out the cop show starting this week uh and i'll probably email you that'll be my new obsession for the next week good if you ever want to talk about cops let me okay. know. that or richard simmons i will talk about both i probably will all right, yeah, right thanks dan Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown, edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson, and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponsty Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.